Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello, listeners. New year means we have some exciting new things to share with you all. First off, we're going to be in LA at the end of January. We're going to be podcasting live at the LA Art Show, January 25th and 26th. In the evening around 5 p.m., we'll continue to update you as we have the exact details, but we will be there. We will be there for the duration of the show, making content, and we would love to see our LA listeners while we're there. So come out come to the show hang out with us it'll be a good time we are also doing another giveaway this giveaway includes a copy of the masterpiece by fiona davis a fantastic art historical novel and some dope studio brand headphones as well as a handful of other goodies if you want to enter for a chance to win the giveaway what you got to do is head over to the art history babe youtube channel subscribe to the channel and then like and comment on a recent video you can also earn up to 10 entries with additional comments so in order to be entered to win you have to go to the youtube channel subscribe Subscribe, like, and comment on one video and you get an entry. If you want additional entries, up to 10 additional entries, you can continue to comment on other videos. The giveaway will run through the month of January and the winner will be chosen first week of February. So make sure to get in on the fun. Also, don't forget to check out artandobject.com. Art and Object is a great resource for art history, contemporary art news, and other arts-related content like podcasts. So head over there, artandobject.com. And as always, a special thank you to all of our patrons, without which we would not be able to make this content for you. And a special shout out to our producer-level patrons, Sarah Sawachka-Dalton and Anna Marie Piccioni. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Happy New Year and enjoy the show. From Art History Babe Briefs. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Natalie, and we are the Art History Babes. What's up, everyone? We are talking about modernism today. Oh, yes. Modern art. Modern elusive art. Modernity. <laughs> this is a super big topic, but it's also just like a concept that can be really hard to grasp at first and get into. So we're going to just try and like lay the groundwork so you have an idea 
what is meant by modernism, modern art, those elusive phrases. All right. You want to start us off, Cor? Sure. So what is modern art? So the goal of this episode is to set a very basic foundation of what is often defined as modern art and provide some history of how modernism came to be. Modern art is much more complicated than some other movements or art terms because of the sheer breadth and variation of art that is defined as modern. For example, when we talk about Impressionism, we are talking about something that is defined by a pretty clear set of rules and like visually defining factors. And also it's complicated because Impressionism can be considered a modernist art movement. So modernism Mm -hmm. is a lot bigger and there is a lot of like weighty philosophical stuff at play with modern art. Defining artwork as modern can feel somewhat counterintuitive. That's because if you think of the word modern and how it is used in everyday language, it kind of takes on a different meaning, at least the way that we use it. The definition of the word modern is relating to the present or recent times as opposed to the remote past. However, modern art hit the scene as early as the 1800s, which to most of us does not feel particularly recent. So we're kind of in this pickle very similar to that of quote-unquote contemporary art, because all art is contemporary when it's made, and in a sense... A lot of art is modern when it's made, at least according Mm -hmm. to how we use the word modern colloquially. Does that make sense? (laughs) It does. It makes about as much sense as it can, (laughs) because (laughs) by nature of what you're describing, it's confusing. And our proximity to modern art, I think, is also what makes it feel weird. Like 200 years ago is really not that long in the history of human beings and art creation and all of that. So there are movements that maybe would have looked similarly at the time, but we just don't recognize them that way because history has kind of simplified it into something else. Yeah. So we just see it all so clearly. It's also well documented. It's recent. It's, you know, like you said, philosophical. So it's just weightier in concept, which we'll get into. There's a lot lot going on. A lot more written on it. A lot more discourse. Yeah, there's just a lot. And And neuroses of the time becomes very present. Exactly. And yeah, it's also just in a weird time historically because it is in the recent past, but still a long time from when we lived, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like hard to situate yourself within it. Yeah. Modern art arose as a result of a historical period that is often known as, quote, modernity. So what is modernity? <laughs> in what, ag- is what is it? Let's speculate. Um, Explore. In, yeah. <laughs> in academic terms, modernity is the term used to describe the historical period as well as the cultural norms, attitudes, and practices that arose from the Age of Reason and the Enlightenment. The 17th and 18th centuries are considered the early modern period, while the 19th century and the early 20th century are often defined as the modern era. The end of the modern era is widely debated, but many historians mark the end of the period with World War II. However, within art history, a great deal of art created post-World War II is often defined as modern. So that's not confusing at all. <laughs> uh, sorry, guys. Um, yeah. 
A we few, apologize. Yeah, on behalf of all of art history, we apologize. <laughs> <laughs> we have the right to do that. It's in the name. Yeah. A few things that modernism, both culturally and in relation to art, is defined by a rejection of tradition, prioritization of the individual, faith in the concept of progress, rationalization, the move from agrarianism to capitalism, industrialization, market economy, consumerism, and secularism. This is all according to Michel Foucault, who is often considered a postmodern philosopher, but we are not going to throw that wrench into things right now. <laughs> We're going to just try and understand modernism. Yeah. Or... What's more modern than modern? <laughs> Postmodern. <laughs> Stay tuned for the next TV episode where we will confuse you. So, quick recap. Modernity is a term that is often used, especially in academia, to describe this whole era that is very much defined by post-industrialism, capitalism, progress, quote unquote, rationalization. The I think prioritization of the individual is very important. Mm -hmm. It's this whole time period that arose out of things like the Industrial Revolution, out of the Enlightenment and world wars mm -hmm. so that is like the time frame and then the art that was created because of similar things and often art that is rejecting tradition and is engaging with these ideas of prioritization of the individual progress and those kinds of concepts in visual art which is once again, very weighty, philosophical, which is why a lot of people don't like modern art, because it's very weighty and philosophical. So I hope that kind of situates you a little bit in modern art. Gonna hand it over to Nat to talk about one of my favorite stories in like all of art history. I love this story so much. I actually think I learned this story from you, Corey. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Or I have a very like distinct memory of discussing it with you that at least prevailed over me actually learning about it. So let's talk about it. Nocturne in Black and Gold, The Falling Rocket, was painted by James McNeil Whistler in 1875. The image is a heavily abstracted representation of a firework display over the Thames. Most of the image is dominated by dark blue and black hues to represent the night sky with dots of gold and orange sprinkled throughout. Think like a splatter painting, Pollock style. Eh, we'll get there. To us, existing on the other side of the modernist movement, the image doesn't appear particularly shocking, but it caused quite the kerfuffle in late Victorian Britain. John Ruskin was a leading art critic of the time, and he did not care for Nocturne in Black and Gold one bit. He accused Whistler of being a con artist that was just out to get money out of collectors, an accusation that is alive and well in the art world today. And to quote Ruskin, I have seen and heard much of Cockney impudence before now, but never expected a coxcomb to ask 200 guineas for flinging a pot of paint in the public's face. The but. most, like, aggressively British statement of all time. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah, you can look up a photo of this painting. It's beautiful. It's really not insulting in the least. Again, yeah. speaking from 2018. But yeah, this is how strongly people felt about abstracted art and these early works that were dealing in abstraction and not respecting the traditions of figurative and academic painting. 
And this is the response that you get. <laughs> exactly. And so what happened was Whistler came back at Ruskin with a libel suit. And the two men essentially had to argue whether or not Nocturne in Black and Gold could be considered art in front of a judge, as well as many spectators that were eager to get in on the drama, which I just I love that this was like a big dramatic thing. Like I wish pop culture drama like <laughs> I mean, I have a jury summons literally sitting five feet away from me. And if it's art related, you know how excited I'll be <laughs> just to show up to jury duty and have to argue whether or not something is art. <laughs> I know, right? So while this case represents a fascinating and somewhat comedic dispute between these two men, it also represents an important schism in how many thought about art throughout the modern era. Ruskin believed that art was meant to improve society and that this was accomplished through faithful representation of the natural world. Whistler, on the other hand, was a proponent of art for art's sake, which sought pure aesthetic sensation. As you can see, as you begin to explore the whole gamut of modern art, various modernist movements align themselves with one of these two philosophies, and some kind of try to synthesize the two. Ultimately, Whistler won the case, but was awarded only a farthing, which was an old British coin equal to one quarter of a penny. So it's so worse. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's what he got out of that whole deal. But yeah, so really like this story kind of represents this really important shift into modernism when you have two people like actually in a court of law, you know, trying to argue whether or not something is art. And I think that it's just so telling to what would go on to happen with modern art, because throughout the entire course of modern art, it's almost like a constant thing. It's just this constant, like, is this art? Is this not art? Over and over and over again, every time someone does something that is, you know, breaking tradition or pushing boundaries. And so it really like represents that kind of shift in the art world. Definitely. Yeah. So let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about a few of the more heavy hitting modern art movements. Okay, we have returned. Hope you enjoyed that message from our sponsors. We're talking about modernism. Let's talk about some movements. So Pablo Picasso and George Brock met in Paris in 1907 and pioneered the artistic movement Cubism. The name comes from the little cubes that make up the works and were often ridiculed by critics of the time. Like most artistic movements, the name came out of criticism, not compliment. Painting was the predominant medium in Cubism. And even though Cubist works were made up of geometric shapes, they left identifiable features to make subjects recognizable to viewers. So they weren't trying to completely abstract, just expand and challenge. So Picasso and Brock worked together in Paris to develop a visual language for Cubism in which traditional perspective with a single viewpoint was abandoned and conventions and representation were rejected and use was made of geometric shapes, planes, and compressed space. So that's a lot, but essentially what they're doing is abandoning traditional perspective and shapes and they were attempting to challenge viewers to contemplate the subject broken down into simple geometric components and oftentimes from several different angles at the same time. So it was essentially meant to challenge the viewer's perspective, literally. And then from there, you can kind of move into philosophical challenges. And what is one of the main 
characteristics of modern art, challenging tradition. Seriously, like all of these movements stylistically can be so different. And even within some movements, stylistically, artists are working differently, but they all reject. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the underlying <laughs> theme that they all seem to feel very strongly about is rejection and, of something. <laughs> yeah. And, and in that way, they all interact with each other because mm -hmm. so many of them are exactly are looking at one type of art and saying, yeah, I reject this about this and I'm going to try this. So another big thing about modern art, which I'm going to talk a little bit more when we get to Clement Greenberg, but modern art is very, very much in conversation with all other art all the time. Like mm -hmm. that's kind of part of how it operates. Is mm -hmm. it rejecting something or commenting on something or taking away from something? So like modern art only exists because other forms of art exist. Yeah. And if you want to learn more about cubism, go check out our two-part episode, Cube Your Enthusiasm. There's a lot in there, a lot more than we've gotten into in this last minute. Yeah, um, that, that's, a, that's a good one. We'll link that down below for you so you can get a little bit better understanding of cubism as a whole. What's our next movement, Nat? Next, we got German Expressionism. So at the turn of the century... German artists living in major cities were growing restless and tired of the traditional bourgeois social conventions and academic traditions that were still being taught. In 1905, architectural students Fritz Bley, Eric Heckel, Karl Schmidt Rotluff, and Ernst Ludwig Kirchner met in Dresden. They formed the artist group Die Brücke, which translates to the bridge, meant to signify the path they wished to form from the past to the future. The artists of Die Brücke were done with the state-sponsored art education, which was dominating Germany's culture and aesthetics. They loaded their canvases with bright, thick strokes of paint and believed that art should express emotion above all else. Several years later in Munich, Wallace Kandinsky and other artists banded together under the name Der Blaue Reiter with similar goals of rejecting conventional artistic practices in exchange for representing pure emotion from the subconscious. German Expressionism laid the groundwork for the later abstract styles of the 20th century. So we'll get into it, but think abstract expressionism and just a flurry of other abstracted styles inspired by the German Expressionists. Yeah, and I mean, German Expressionism is very much kind of the beginning of this expressing emotion through line and color and stripping back from things like representation and mm -hmm. focus more on the emotional and the expressive and that aspect, which, yeah, once again, is seen in some modern art and is not seen in other forms of modern art. Yeah. Abstract Expressionism is an American artistic movement on the heels of World War II. And like their predecessors, the German Expressionists, Abstract Expressionists were concerned with expressing emotion through their work. Also known as the New York School, this group of loosely affiliated artists broke away from accepted conventions and instead represented reflections of their own personal psyche. Disillusioned after two world wars, the artists were no longer satisfied with creating art meant to represent beauty in nature. Additionally, the Museum of Modern Art opened in 1929 in New York, exposing the city and its artists to the modern art of Europe, including Cubism, Dada, Surrealism, and retrospectives of artists like Picasso and Matisse. Some big names from the abstract expressionists include Lee Krasner, William de Kooning, 
Elaine de Kooning, Mark Rothko, Franz Klein, Jackson Pollock, and Clifford Still, among others. Stylistically, their works vary quite drastically, but within the early abstract expressionism of the 1940s and 50s, there were two general groups, the action painters and the color field painters. Action painters like Jackson Pollock and William de Kooning would attack their canvases with spontaneous, expressive brushstrokes, and color field painters like Mark Rothko and Clifford Still instead filled their canvases with large areas of a single color or a few colors. And that is abstract expressionism in a nutshell. In a very, very tiny nutshell. Um, very, like, less pistachio. <laughs> we have multiple abstract expressionism episodes as well, so those will be linked down below. You can find them in the Art History Babes archives if you want to hear us go into detail about some of that fun, like, psychology and philosophy that went into those works. It becomes a lot more enriching and interesting when you get into the philosophy. So go check those yeah, out. Definitely. That was just three examples of kind of sub movements that can fall under the umbrella of modernism. But there are many, 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 many more, <laughs> as was kind of stated at the beginning of this episode. Modernism is this big umbrella, and it is also just kind of an idea that can be attached to a lot of art. You know, there is this overarching ideal of what makes something modern within visual art. And these were some of the big heavy hitting modern movements in the sense that they really pushed the envelope and like just push things forward in terms of rejecting tradition, doing something very different, kind of making a lot of people mad, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> exploring emotion, these kinds of things. So we're going to wrap up here with just a little bit more philosophy associated with modern art. Can't really talk about modern art without talking about Clement Greenberg. He is often considered one of the most important art critics of the 20th century, and he was very active in the post-war period. He was a big proponent of abstract expressionism and a fan of Jackson Pollock. In fact, he is often credited for making Jackson Pollock Jackson Pollock. In his 1960 essay, Modernist Painting, Greenberg designates Edward Monet the first modernist painter. This is because Greenberg saw the flatness that Monet employed in his work to be something distinct to the idea of modernism and modern painting. Something that other means of modern entertainment, such as film and photography and theater, didn't have. And to Greenberg, modern art was distinct from these other, you know, popular mediums because modern art was not meant to tell a story or to, to depict the world realistically. Greenberg was very big on this idea of reduction. So to him, painting began with the illusionistic representation found in Renaissance art. So just a quick reminder, another confusing thing in art history, when we use the word illusionism, it actually means like representation of the actual world, mm -hmm. because you're representing the world realistically on a painting, you're creating an illusion of reality. That kind of sometimes seems counterintuitive because you think illusion is maybe the opposite of reality. But Renaissance art is illusionistic in the sense that we're working towards creating a more realistic image. 
It's an illusion that the artist and the viewer are both in on. That's like an yeah. agreement that you want to be tricked into this yes. illusion. That this painting represents reality. Mm-hmm. We've got Renaissance painting that is big on this illusionistic representation. And then over time, painting, according to Greenberg, evolved by the removal of various components. So by achieving things like flatness, pure color, simple forms, art was evolving in a pure direction, in a direction towards purity by removing things and kind of simplifying things. And we see these elements and these ideas very much at play in the modernist movements of abstract expressionism and minimalism. While Greenberg's thoughts were essential to both understanding and just the development of modern and postmodern art in the 60s and 70s, many artists and thinkers would disagree with some of his assertions today. But that's just part of the fun of art and philosophy and things as big and weighty as modern art is we get to talk about these things and discuss them and argue what we think to be true in relation to modern art. Yeah, it's a good time. It's it's a good time, guys. Join us. (laughs) If you're still here, that means you're down for a good time, too. It's what we like to do in our free time. <laughs> sit around and uh, argue the merits of Clement Greenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something like that. But yeah, so modernism, very, very big thing. We will, of course, continue to do more both full length and baby episodes on the many, many, many aspects that exist within the giant umbrella of modernism. But I hope that this episode kind of gave you an idea of what that word even means when it's Mm -hmm. being used in relation to art and just history. I think it takes a little while before it becomes natural, you know, to understand modern in this context. Yeah. And just getting comfortable with it. And it's a little bit of a slow process, but be patient with it because modern art is really, really cool. And it's worth your time. It's so cool. And it definitely, yeah, that's the thing about modern art is it can be a lot and kind of frustrating sometimes. But it's one of those things that if you're willing to put in the effort, you will reap the rewards like you will get something out of it for sure. It's almost like when someone challenges someone like in a any form of relationship, but it's like you test someone to see like how dedicated they are. It's like modern artists are like testing you. They're going to make you work for it a little bit. But if you put in the time... And that's why Capricorns and Scorpios love modern art. (laughs) Yeah, and a lot of them were modern artists. It's like, let's make this as complicated as possible. (laughs) Work for it. You got to work for it. Let us know your thoughts on modern art. Please let us know if, you know, you have specific questions, if this like helped clear some things up for you, or you have questions moving forward into the world of modern art. What are your thoughts on Greenberg? He's a fun one. We have to just do a whole episode on Greenberg at yeah. some point. There's so much there for sure. Little baby episode on modernism. Intro to modernism for y'all. Thank you so much for listening. Also, real quick, you should all check out artandobject.com. There are new partners and it's a cool website full of all kinds of art stuff. Art news, art podcast, art content. It's a great um, 
Yeah, it's a great resource and um, very fun, very accessible. So artandobject.com. Check them out. Thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to our patrons. We love you. If you want to become a patron of the Art History Babes, head over to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes. You can get a whole bunch of episodes for as low as $1 a month. We do a exclusive episode every month. And by becoming a patron, you get access to the whole archive of them. There's tons of them already. They're really fun topics and they tend to be very like lighthearted conversation. Us kind of working through our thoughts on a lot of just like contemporary art stuff. So check those out and we will catch you guys next time. Bye. From What? Kerfuffle? Kerfuffle? <laughs> <laughs>